Plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine intelligence officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, this is going to be a a fascinating discussion. We're going to talk about supply shocks and society across the board, or maybe I should reverse those two, society and supply shocks. But I have to tell you, um, things have changed so rapidly this year in the last two years but but certainly with the war in the middle east in israel with the threats of the houthis you know literally hijacking a ship shooting missiles up the red sea uh all these things that we have talked about before as you know could happen something we're looking at something we're worried and now we're seeing this and of course um with with china uh, coming in right on the heels of APEC and now all of a sudden getting more aggressive in the South China Sea, um, it's making everybody nervous. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a deep dive in, in China and another discussion here, but you're absolutely right. So where we're going with this and, you know, people, anyone listening to us know that Hal and I focus very much on the scenario planning. You know, obviously, the natural bias is towards the status quo and to believe that things will be the same and there's a linear projection and, and so forth. We know, obviously, more than ever, to your point, that that's not the case. So today, what we're going to try to do is look at some of the shock points, okay? You've touched on a couple. Some of the shock drivers, some of the technology shockers that are coming. And then what we've done is distilled uh, three or four scenarios that we'd like to, again, to our, our, our bias of scenario discussions and being directionally prepared to go one way or the other, but have some idea where that might be. And, you know, just to, before we get into this too much, uh, for years, we would often be brought in by CEOs that were trying to literally shake up their, uh, their executive staff because they they were so focused on the status quo they were so focused on this is what i do every day and we would be brought in from outside to go in there and and run them through their paces to ask the questions that they couldn't ask internally lest they cause great dissension and and issues but we could come in as almost like a a third party bad guy if you will to walk in and, and ask these questions and 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 make them work through these issues and frankly, in most these most cases, with rare exception, uh, when we do a competitive war game, the home team would normally lose because they were so encumbered with with protecting the norms, if you will, the corporate culture, the status quo of what's going on. They were afraid to get out of the box, and they would get clocked. And it was interesting to watch how that would get basically replicated in the marketplace. That, yeah. that those who were willing to ask the tough questions tended to do better. Uh, absolutely. And actually, t- to that point, um, I'm, we're talking to two business schools right now, Harvard and, and Chapman, uh, specifically about uh, the scenario planning. They're, they're changing, they're addressing curricula issues that they need to s- 
when things things have changed so dramatically that scenario planning, war gaming, risk mitigation, that's now becoming part of the you know common discussion as opposed to when you and I were around the world with that. Go ahead. Uh, with that, let's look at what's going on around the world. All right, let's talk about some of these shock points. Let's talk about global growth. Let's talk about what's happening in China. Let's talk what's happening here in the U.S. Uh, some of the numbers are rather interesting. <clears throat> What's happening in Europe is kind of interesting, too. I'll tell you one of the things I find fascinating, and it's become a buzz term over the last year, the global south has become a buzz term. But I have to tell you, I do a lot of stuff in the global south, and I have been bullish on the potential, uh, particularly in, in Africa, but, but also in certain parts of Latin America, although... I will tell you, recent elections in Latin America kind of makes me scratch my head as to which way that whole thing's going. But uh, but I am big on uh, the growth potential in a lot of these places. And I look at this now. Uh, for example, I look at Africa, and in many ways, from a from an economic growth perspective, I I feel like I'm looking at Asia 30 or 40 years ago, and what what the transformation that's taken place uh, over there. Well, it's really interesting what's driving. I mean, we'll dive into this in our scenarios in a second here. But generally speaking, the shock drivers are, are clear enough. And it's, it's, it's really the relative influence of the leadership of the U.S. versus China um, and, and what that balance will look like. So what we're trying to understand, are we going to be looking at a unipolar or bipolar, which many of us, when we grew up, we were used to that Cold War scenario, certainly when you know, d during your service years. Or is it going to be a multipolarity? And the reason I bring that point up is because you're going right to it with South America and with Africa. They, there's going to be counterbalances largely because of not just the powers of those or the emergence of the developing countries, but also because of the focus of rare minerals and earth, or rare earth minerals in particular that they control. Well, they do control, but you know the the thing with China and the control of rare earths. When you actually dig into it, it's rather as as we've talked about before. It's rather interesting. Many cases, they they basically forced themselves into controlling. You know, they they did some very predatory pricing. You know, basically pricing below the cost in terms of processing rare earths. You know, basically underpricing their stuff to the point where they were developing their rare earths uh, capabilities for mining. Even though, if you looked across the world, they didn't have all the sources of rare earths. Uh, the, in many cases, they did, but they weren't that economical. But that's catching up with them. Their ability to subsidize has become less and less over time as they're having to face all these other shocks to their system, like real estate and, and some other bad investments that they've made. So, so let's talk about that. And then I, we do want to come back to the multipolarity, but we'll come back in a second. So, for example, some of the shock points that we're seeing right now, the contextual trend lines, uh, the global growth outlook, we're, we're on a slightly downward trend right now. So 22 was uh, growth was 3.5%, 23 down to three, forecasting 24 to be below three. Now, it's, it's a jump ball. It's anybody's guess, obviously, with the points that you've referenced, with uh, whether it's Ukraine, China, um, but, and who's going to be providing ballast for us. But there are some headwinds. The big ones, China's property sector, is uh, there's, there's a lot of knock-on effects with that. Um, Near-term inflation expectations are still a drag. The, the, the consumer is tired um basically you know the the pandemic subsidization is 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 now run its course so we, we just don't know the eurozone was weaker in q3 and it only grew by one percent and there's obviously reasons for that 
China slowed significantly to just under 5% from um, well over 6 And again, it's the U.S. that is leading the, uh, the, the uh, increased GDP. I want to come back to some more of those points, but I want to give you a chance to re- respond to that. Fortress North America. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting. You know, and, and part of it, I think, uh, and, and, and I'm just going to say this, this is, you know, we're talking about polarity. Am I going to get into, uh, I'm going to talk about political ideology here. Uh, capitalism has a purpose. All right. The market forces do speak. In the, and one of the things that uh, the U.S. was taking lots of hits on, and I remember I heard this in the, certainly in <clears> 2010, <throat> 2000s, they talk about the more centralized planning, the massive growth of China. And they'd say, well, maybe China has a different economic model, that it's working better, that the the, the total free free capital or free economy, if you will, free markets and the economy, the way the U.S. is structured and the West is structured, isn't as strong for the type of growth that's needed. So China was out there building, you know, like three Philadelphias every year or whatever the heck it was. And everybody's going, that's great. Now, of course, we look at it and we go, yeah, you got three empty Philadelphias where it's half finished and nobody's moved in. They did all the Belt and Road stuff where they the bad investments overall. And the U.S. buffeting those wins for all those years did make us more resilient. And it's starting to show up where our growth is actually better than what we're seeing of these more command-type economies. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're going to uh, largely – don't want to – with, I, I do have a bias towards uh, the fortress North America, given the, the Canadian background and so forth, and and so. But what's really interesting to see, and this regionalism is is create is is here to stay, is over the last nine months. Okay, I'm going to brought some numbers here to uh, to support this. Um, growth with Mexico, U.S. trade with Me- Mexico was 15.7 percent. Mm-hmm. Canada 15.3. So those are now the two largest trading partners with the United States. Okay. It's way, way down with China for the reasons that we've talked about. So we're, we're, in terms of a leadership position, this continent is well, we are well positioned. And by, by the way, and you know this last year, I was, you could have said I was on the Belt Road Tour. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I was over in South Asia and I'm looking at, you know, essentially failed Belt and Road Initiative investments by China in South Asia. <clears throat> I'm over in East Africa. I'm looking at these kind of pseudo so-so Belt Road initiatives out there. Of course, it, Italy, the uh, the EU country that, that welcomed Belt and Road is now turned around and said, yeah, we're not so sure we want to be a part of that whole deal. And and part of that was the uh, the fact that, that those economic decisions were, were not well-founded. They were more aspirational from a political perspective, wanting to build this global economic thing. Not the first time we've seen that happen. I I, I you know I and and, and I kind of go back to the 1950s with the Soviet Union. We'd watch these amazing numbers coming out of the Soviet Union in terms of growth, which we know we now know was a lot of fic- fiction. Right, right. Uh, but but we'd see these numbers go. Oh, they have a better economic model. <clears throat> well, I think China's coming to, you know those those. Uh, those uh, those 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 uh, economic chickens are coming home to roost, if you will. Right. The, the weaponization of the economic system through debt leverage, which you're 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 mm-hmm. basically describing with the Belt and Road Initiative, um, isn't indefinitely sustainable. And so now it's starting to, as you reference, certain countries are, are starting to implode under that under that weight. This is where the multipolarity is very important, and that's that's actually with our work here our scenario analysis that's what we're hoping to see so the balancers to maintain relative strength for both u.s and china 
is basically Japan, Germany, France, India, and to a point, Canada. Uh, obviously, the spoilers, you know, Iran, uh, North Korea, and Russia. So let's dive in with the time we have left. I'm going to hand this back to you on our, we've got three or four scenarios we want to go down here and discuss. Okay. Let's, let's look at the first one here with global leadership with the United um, States. So just carry on with that, then we'll shift over to China. Um, we, we've got a very, there's no doubt about it. We've got the best forces and very in terms of military, and we have to, and, and the most responsive. We've talked about this before. They're getting somewhat diluted. But we've got to maintain that focus with, and, and hopefully have some balance with our, our domestic politics. We talked about China. Now, if they pivot to, if we go, if they pivot to a, a strength of position or um, with the debt leverage, we, we've there, there's too much. Um, there's cyber. There's intellectual property issues, and there's their influence. And we talked about this on other podcasts to move away from the uh, global reserve currency for the U.S. dollar. Again not in our interest and our intention is to maintain the the, the off-ramps with the um, multiplayer you know the problem problem with china is uh certainly intellectual property is a huge one intellectual property is is in so many ways what the, what's driving the future is is ip and and they do not respect intellectual property rights and that's been a problem with china for many many years the other thing is all these bad investments and of course uh there is a lot of discussion that they have plateaued that this rapid increase, and they got other issues too. You know, I'm going to bring this in as demographics. That one-child policy has hit them hard. Right, 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 yeah. uh, they have a declining population. It could be going from 1.2 billion or 1.3 billion, wherever they are now, down to 800 million or less by the end of the century. That's a phenomenal drop. By the way, we saw the same thing with Russia. A phenomenal drop in that, and that causes an ability. That causes an inability to really sustain uh, an economy which grew so fast based on the availability of cheap labor. Well, there's not that cheap labor anymore. Right, so the, the other, exactly. The, the, the other shockers that we're looking at here, and we're just trying to itemize these and as we wrap up this, this discussion point, is <clears throat> China's rapid focus on, on military and, and technology advancement. Now we're gonna talk a little more deeper on that. The big offset to that and then that heightens the risk is the retreat is if there's any u.s uh retreat from the international stage and uh dilution of the u.s leadership because right now if that were to happen and the polarization is maintained <clears throat> then china will have a an open f a field to 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 run on and russia will will be the same way so we'll see where that uh, um where that develops i i tell you one thing that worries me is uh and and you see this not just in the u.s but you see it with some other in, in europe you see it in, in uh, south america recently with the elections down there uh, that there is a retreat from globalization that the world is such an uncertain place that it's causing huge problems in that and that that there's a, a certain panic and, and there is a history in the u.s and in north america of isolationism and the idea we have these big oceans that protect us so you know that's that's a big concern because if when we do that usually the world becomes so uncertain that we get dragged into dare i say it a world war because of how the the, the system tends to break down so the, the, i'm not going to repeat those numbers uh but i mentioned earlier but we, we are seeing the regionalization with the with the trade 
other a couple other issues we want to touch on here is that there there is civil unrest that's going on, and I, I'm going to give this to you to speak to in China in terms of the, their one-child policy. There's an imbalance, and so that in and of itself, outside of the leadership, now we've also got strains with India and Pakistan, you've, you, and of course you've mentioned what's you know where we are with the with the Muslim world. All of this technology. One thing, one shocker that we do want to touch on in this limited time is the expanded um, exposure of conventional weapons. Now we've got nuclear hy hypersonic. This is right in your wheelhouse. I'll let you comment on this. We've got a autonomous weaponry and AI, and then the synthetic biology. So that's the other shock um, pandemic too coming down the, uh, the road. Well, and we don't know. You know, COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, it, uh, originally they were saying. Oh, it was no, it was a natural thing. It was from bats or something, and 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 now they're saying, oh, you know, it could have been something that was enhanced that came out of a lab. We can't completely rule that out. And I'm not going down the conspiracy route, but I am saying that there's other things out there. There's a there's a new pandemic, emerging pandemic in China right now, a respiratory uh, thing that that no one's quite sure where that came from, and there's some serious concerns that that may have also been something that maybe wasn't completely natural. The world is is vulnerable to all this across the board. But let me just talk about real quick what's going on. You're seeing, uh, certainly with the war in Israel, you're seeing um, uh, civil unrest all over the world. Uh, you're seeing uh, a lot of resurgent anti-Semitism popping up as part of that unrest. But in China, you're seeing some fundamental economics. Some very frustrated uh, people across the board from the lockdown they they lost a lot of confidence in the g government but the other thing they're looking at is this economy that's that's starting to flatline they're looking at you got college graduates that can't get jobs right. or they're getting jobs way below what they had thought they're going to do everybody doing what the government told them to do to buy real estate buy a home go to college do all these things and it's simply not working in their system and i don't think that's sustainable I think when we close, the, the takeaway from this discussion is we cannot emphasize enough from our scenario analysis and building here that it's critical that the U.S. maintains leadership. They cannot retreat from the world stage, and we must support a, a, the strength of a continued alliance system. The cushion is going to be a multipolarity uh, environment, so there's not bias to one, one section or the, or the other. Any other scenario than that is, is going to be uh, the system will be shocked and we as businessmen and leaders will be uh, will be exposed to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just confuse it really quick here and say a multipolar world, which is what we were saying in the 90s with the end of the Cold War, moving in a bipolar direction, though. You're starting to see emerging blocks come out of this. Uh, you know, I mentioned the quad and some other things, and it's changing the way we do stuff, but it has to be part of the planning process. Yeah. Uh, has to be considered okay thank you Hal. all right thanks mark we've covered a lot of material today i know we're going to come back and talk more about this in the future there is so much more uh going on the world is a the world is a fast changing place right now the world is a very dangerous place if you will because of all the thing you know there's a world of wars if you will not a world war but a world of wars that's going on uh europe middle east you know, a lot of confrontation stuff going on in Asia, and I'm just waiting for something to break out in Latin America again because usually something happens down there. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of different things occurring, and uh, and that requires a certain rigor in our planning and strategy process. Yeah. Look, look, for, look for our newsletters on the on the investment banking and the uh, strategy analysis. Thank you.
Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.